by the way, can I just say something? Oh, I just started recording, but say it and we'll, uh, we'll edit asked, it if it's bad. You know, how to beat the bookie? I, I texted him and I said, what are you using for a camera? Because it's coming out good. He uses his phone. And I said, do you edit or whatever you do? And he said, no, I just trim off the front and the end and yeah. the beginning and that's it. So he does a good job. Anyway, okay, I'm ready. And with a little pre-show banter, welcome to uh, Hugo Floss for January 17, 2021. Another week gone by, uh, plenty of stories and probably something to complain about, except we will not be complaining that our guest is joining us today, Tammy Hugo. Yes. Tammy Hugo Haley. I'm sorry. My apologies. Tammy Hugo Haley. Yes. Tammy Hugo Haley is our special guest. She's an Arizona attorney specializing in divorce and child custody law. Welcome, Tammy. Thanks, Nancy and Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Hey, we're excited that uh, the three of us are together, even though we're in different places. Danny being in Las Vegas and you and I being in Arizona. But good to get together. Okay. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is going to be a fun show. We've never had a guest before. It's always been Dan and I chatting and talking and complaining about everything we can think of. But we thought that uh, Tammy being on our show would add um, some real interest in what's going on with the child custody and divorce law only in Arizona, because Tammy, you agree that each state, I guess, has a different set of laws, right? Right. Every state has a little bit of a unique aspect or take on family law. Uh, the federal the federal laws really don't apply uh, broadly to divorce and, and family with the exception of things like child support. Oh. Um, but everything I talk about here is, of course, educational. No legal advice is being delivered. And my appearance here does not create an attorney-client relationship. You're That's right. Good. Yeah. Good to disclaim now that, that, now that we have all that covered, I just want to give you a minute to uh, talk about your background so people don't think that, uh, oh, she just, uh, she's a new lawyer. No, you're well-seasoned, so go for it. Well-seasoned. I went to the University of Arizona Law School in Tucson. I graduated in 2001 and began practicing that same year. And I've always had my practice in the Phoenix area. Um, done a wide variety of things. And right now I just confine my practice to family, divorce, child custody, prenuptial agreements, um, father's rights, those kind of cases. Hmm. So tell me, um, has the divorce rate gone up since we've all been quarantined? I don't know what the rate is right now. I, I imagine people are contemplating or reflecting on their home life, kind of trying to see what the future will bring or how their happy life will look in the future. Hmm. Or their unhappy An life. <laughs> anecdotally, I don't know. I don't know if there were actual stats, but anecdotally, I had read that uh, China was seeing an increase in divorces because they they had a more brief lockdown. So it, it was like basically January, February, March timeframe, 2020. Yeah. And that there was a, a spike in divorces after that. Uh, here, I have to wonder if there's, because of the uncertainty, if people are like either tolerating or just you, you live on your side of the house and I'll live on mine or whatever. Because 
you know, who knows how easy it will be to find a new place and if people are getting laid off or, or other economic maladies. So it'd be interesting. I heard a, um, he's actually an author, a journalist, I guess. And he was saying that in his small apartment, he and his wife were working together in different places. She's got her job, he's got his. And in addition to that, they had to take care of the kids and they were at their wits end. And I can see that happening. Um, so Tammy, I guess you've come across people without speaking specifically. Um, it is a trying time for a lot of people. You know, it really is because, you know, you're stuck in the house. Uh, we're not really uh, locked in our houses like they were in China. I think that in, I, at least I read, they had a fairly intense lockdown where yes, we've had, you know, quite a bit of freedom to leave the house, go, go grocery shopping. Um, well, uh, to, I, I don't sorry to interrupt you, but just, uh, just like everything else, I mean, it varies from state to state and even city to city. So it, it literally depends on what your address is in some cases, whether you can, can I go outside without a mask? Can I go to the store? Can I go out to have some dinner? Can I be outside after 10 PM? <clears throat> Check your local listings, right? So. Sure. Here in, in Phoenix area, we really have not had, I wouldn't call it a lockdown. Yeah. We're free to leave the house. We can go to parks. We can go grocery shopping, go, I think the movie theaters are open. Really? They were at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm not sure if the lockdown or if the, the virus itself, I know it's, it's been very hard on families with children to, to manage the remote learning, especially when people do have to go to work or even working from home is difficult to also teach your child or to supervise the remote learning process. It's extremely hard on families. Right. And people are learning that you have to share the computer. And now suddenly the kitchen counter, the social hub of the house <laughs> becomes, if if that's where people set up uh, their laptops or their webcams or whatever, that's where all the kids and all the parents and anybody else are having their meetings and their class time and their homework and whatever else. And so life yeah, I've, I've heard changed. no, yeah, yeah I've heard no good changed. stories. Yeah. Yeah, well, on my end, um, and this doesn't have to do with the law, but because of the quarantine, people are starting to rethink the allocation of space in their house. So, of course, they're thinking ahead and designing or wishing that they could design different spaces in their house to accommodate the kids learning and uh, the me time for each adult and their office time. So I know, uh, Tammy, you have an interesting office Um I know you, you have a home office like everybody else, and then you have a regular office, but how do you feel about working from home? Well, right now, working from home is really identical to working in an office if you don't, you know, many family lawyers are not seeing clients in person. So all of the court hearings in the, in the family court, I would say, well, most of the ones that I've participated in have been on video. Hmm. Do they foresee opening the courts anytime soon, or are they just kind of going from month to month? Well, eventually they're they're likely going to stay. You know, they will reopen. Um, but yeah. I think that the the amount of video hearings that the court has on a routine basis is going to 
is going to increase. So I think some of a lot of these hearings that have been switched to video, they're going to stay on video. Probably um, easier for everybody all around. Hey, I want to talk about um, the prenup. I know uh, Tammy and I did a podcast on Home Design Chat with Nancy talking about prenuptial agreements having to do with people who start businesses. But we, well, give us a little overview on actually what is a prenuptial agreement and who should have it? You know, people should have them. I mean, when you're, if someone's getting married um, and they want a prenup, which is just a contractual addition, it's a little, I would compare it to having a will. So, you know, you can, um, you can go through life without a will. And the government will decide what happens to your assets because we have default rules. So you don't you don't have to have a will to live your life and leave things to your heirs. But you are not going to decide who your heirs are. The, the law decides by default. So it's a little bit like that. You can get married without a prenuptial agreement, but if the marriage ends, then the default rules govern. But if you want to make your own rules, just like you would if you had a will or a trust or an estate plan, then maybe a prenuptial agreement is for you. Maybe you want to decide your own destiny. Hmm. Uh, so I have a question. Now, we all know, does common law marriages apply? Do they still have those? I really haven't looked into it. Um. Some states do have common law marriages. Uh, there's an old saying that's actually true that a marriage is valid if it was valid where celebrated, unless it's against public policy or something. But if somebody's out of Arizona, marriage was a common law marriage and it was valid in the state where the marriage was celebrated, usually we think of a wedding. Mm -hmm. or whatever rules applied in the state or even in some cases some um, some nations so so a reservation for example like a sovereign nation then or even out of the country so if a if a marriage was if a common law marriage was valid in another country then then we would we might recognize it here in Arizona but we do not actually have common law marriage you one cannot establish a common law marriage within Arizona. It has oh, to be established okay. somewhere else under okay. those laws. So if two people were in another state, they were living together for 15 years, they moved to Arizona, they never got married, but everybody assumes that they've been together so long that they're a couple. Should these people have a prenuptial agreement? Because what if they go into business together where one has a business and then they decide to go their merry way? Is that a big problem? Boy, it sounds like it'd be complicated. You know, it's not really a problem. It, I think in that case, because there's so many moving parts, I mean, I wouldn't be able to really foresee how that would go. Um, I don't really advise anybody accidentally get married. It's a little bit like a business partnership. So you can actually accidentally start a general partnership. So any business folks out there you know that you want to have the terms of your partnership agreed upon before you enter that partnership, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if you and another person decided that you were going to uh, share the profits of a venture? So you handshake deal. I'm going to go do this. Let's call it a kitchen design. Let's call it a remodel. 
and you and another person say, hey, we're going to go forward and do this remodel together. And you don't think you're in business with this person, but you decide to share profits and maybe, you know, share some of the liability. Well, you might just have formed an accidental general partnership. Hmm. So nobody really wants that, right? You want to have your terms in writing. You want to say, you know, this is not a partnership. This is just a single venture uh, or maybe not a joint venture. You know, you want to have those um, spelled out because maybe your general partner, but your accidental general partner is going to go make some purchases and say, yeah, it's in the name of this little partnership. We just, you know, in this uh, venture, right. we just are doing so you can have these consequences you did not intend. And so. Can... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I was going to say that sounds a little bit like a, so an, an accidental general partnership is not something that any lawyer want, would, would advise you to do. So I would never <laughs> advise somebody to set out and have a common law marriage that they didn't intend to enter into. Right. I, mean, I, I would imagine this happens all the time in my field of, uh, especially during the dot-com era, like you could literally be sitting at a, anywhere at an event, at a coffee shop, like at, at a conference or whatever, like, Hey, I have this idea. Hey, you want to work on it? Hey, yeah, let's do, let's start at, and suddenly you're, you're working on some back of the envelope or napkin idea without writing anything down. And then suddenly there's a, wait a minute, I, I contributed to your project and now I'm owed something, you know, there's all kinds of caveats and, and uh, red flags to look out for. So, well, that napkin is very yeah. likely going to be exhibit number one, right? Or emails, literature. emails and chats. And so nowadays it's any one of 50 different ways of doing video or audio or text or, or uh, other messaging or emailing or whatever. So, yeah. Right. Those are indicia, you know, those yep. are possible um we call those parole evidence when there's no other when there's no evidence within a contract or those four corners there's other supporting documentation that would right it could come back to bite you so wow can that's you, why i was gonna say can you imagine two people common law marriage they're living together it's they're not thinking of separating they go into business together and then they have kids together and there's nothing in writing would that be considered a um, well problem? I would say if you're going <laughs> as a layperson, let me let me jump in here and just say I, I and then you tell me where I'm wrong. Uh, I would assume quote going into business together, not being the same as having kids together, but when you go into business together, that's at least there's something that you can sort of partition off, right? Like, as you have a business and there'd be accounting and other stuff, right? Kids, I think, would be a little bit more tricky. So, t what do you think of that? Go Tam. Um, so are you, so in this hypothetical situation, uh, two people decide to have a business together and have kids together without getting married and then they're splitting up. So I would tell these people, please call me so we can talk <laughs> about all the moving parts on this one. But, you know, all is not lost if there's nothing in writing and there's no marriage. There are some civil remedies that one could explore. Um, you know, like we talked about with the accidental general partnership, there are certain understandings between those folks about who was going to 
raise the kids and who was going to run the business primarily. And there might have been some implied covenants in there, you know. You may find yourself in civil court over this instead of family court for the business side because there's no marriage. Uh, The kids' issues are going to get worked out in family court. And it's really a recipe for a lot of legal bills. Right. So if you, but if you, if you do form a business and then one person wants to leave, including the business, then at least there's like a buyout notion. Like it's a, you can really formally form formally, not formally, you can formally end the business relationship, buy out shares or, or, or structure a, an ongoing interest. Maybe they retain some sort of a percentage of profits over some whatever, but so business structured agreements, uh, for an exit of some sort, I would say are, can be done much less emotionally than the rest of a, what would be whatever it is, common law or whatever. But, you know, kids, I think would be a completely different situation like completely it really different. it really depends on the person because for some people when they start a bit when someone starts a business that entrepreneur may look at that business as their their baby that's that what they created what that person put their heart and soul into they may not have kids but you know that business may be very important to them because it allows them to support their children which are extremely important to them so it, it can actually be emotional because it ties right into how they're going to ha- help their family move forward. So if one person says, no, I want the business, the other person can't agree on what it's worth, then usually the parties have to look at hiring a business valuation expert. And that person may look at the books. They may look. They may take an income approach. They also have to assess the level of risk that the business has and what their future, what their future value or place in the market would be, then assign a value on it. Then the other person may have their own business valuation idea, and then a, and then a judge gets to decide. Hey, how are we going to make a fair fair outcome? Whether that's in civil because they weren't married, whether that's in family court because they were married, you're still talking about a superior court judge making that decision if the parties can't agree. Well, it'd yep. be much easier to stay together, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> or put things in sometimes, writing. Sometimes it's not easier to stay together. Yeah, I guess. Uh, hey, I asked you um, a question before we started recording, Tammy, about, well, um, two famous people right now, uh, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Um, why I bring this up, God knows. But they um, have a prenuptial. They have a lot of money, but they, um, I guess they're, their children weren't mentioned in their prenuptial because probably when they got married, they didn't have kids. So who thought about that? Um, Can you decide in your prenuptial agreement who gets the kids um, more than the other, or do you have to wait until the divorce to do all that? So I'm not quite sure what their situation is right now. I don't know if they've, one of them has actually filed for divorce or not. And I don't know what state they're in. Yeah, well, I don't think they know what state they're in either. Um, But (laughs) great, they're in a crazy state. And depending on what you read, but I was just taking this as a general. Um, So when people do a prenup, can they put in some things in there about their future children or no? I I have seen prenuptial agreements that address 
children's issues. And at the end of the day, uh, later on, after the kids arrive in the world, things might change. So ultimately, child decision-making and parenting time and who's with the kids or how much child support is at issue ultimately is going to be ruled or governed by what's in the children's best interest. And if those interests conflict with what's in the agreement, then the best interests are going to control. Hmm. I can see that. And I can also see the Kardashian West divorce going on for many, many years. Um, Just like the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, why I'm bringing these up is because to me, they're comedies. They go on for years and years and years. And not to change the subject, but I have also heard of people divorcing and fighting over their dog. Well, since the dog doesn't have a voice, how do they decide who gets the dog? Uh, This is not child custody. I guess it's pet custody or furry animal custody. What do they do in that case? Well, for me personally, my dogs are like my babies. They're got their individual personalities. They, you know, they're always with us. They have their own space in the house. They have their own beds. They're like, they're like little kids, but they are not little kids. They're not little babies. They are property legally, but I don't see them as my property. I see them as my babies. So ideally, uh, you know, they are our fur babies, they're our companions. And so you have to kind of fit that reality into the legal fiction that they're property. I mean, it is a fiction, but it's true. They are property. My, my dogs have negative equity. There's no value. You know, I'm not going to be able to sell these dogs like I would a house and get some right. equity out of it. So well, that, that was my point about the business versus kids thing right there. Like a business, you, you, I, I don't know that a, a judge or an arbiter in general would be able to make a best interest health and well-being judgment about, you know, who gets what separating or, or ending a business relationship in, in the one we referenced earlier where a, a non-married couple, I guess, gets uh, starts a business and has kids. So health and well-being of kids is very different than, you know, who's going to run the business better. I don't know if that's a courtroom decision or right so that's that's sort of what i was getting at that is actually an an interesting take on it the american justice system in general in most states i only practice in arizona but just based on my experience in arizona is the courts have a policy of you know there's a public policy of not wasting anything of economic value so the court doesn't doesn't support waste so if you have a business and one person has more has more business acumen than the other. The other person didn't really take part in the business, but they maybe own equal parts of the business. It may not make economic sense from a waste perspective. It may be a waste of property to award the business to somebody who doesn't have any business acumen and no history with the business, unless that person has a plan for making this business wildly successful and persuades a judge that it's it's not wasteful, but the same goes with a dog. You know, if one person um, has an affinity for the, for the 
dog or the cat or the bird or whatever the pet or the companion animal is, then a court has the uh, has the ability to award if that is a community property here in Arizona, that judge can award property to one spouse and then compensate the other spouse with the value. And and the judge can make that equitably, not necessarily equal. So it may be, hey, I'm going to award you another $350 so you can get a similar dog. In my case, our dogs are rescued. So you can go pay the rescue fee for another dog or another cat, bird, whichever. We also have a turtle. Um, there's no dollar value you can put on these animals, but a court may try to fashion something that's fair. The option of selling the dog and splitting the proceeds, I've never seen that actually done, but. But you could do that with a business or a house or what. So there's, there's like a line, you know, on one side of the line is it's an asset that can be sold or liquidated or valued in a sort of a, there's an intrinsic value, right? assets and customers and clients and whatever. And then there's the extrinsic value that you really can't, you, you can't liquidate a dog, right? But it has value that you've given it. Or you could liquidate a dog, but that's a different podcast. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what I'm, but I'm just saying like, so there, in some cases it's, I think it's, I think it would be easier, at least as a lay person, it would be easier to split a business than the family. If that makes yeah, sense. Well, it's it more is. emotional. Right? It is because a lot of folks, myself included, we have two dogs and they love each other. So even saying, well, husband can take one dog and the other husband can take the other dog. Now they're going to be living in two separate houses. My, Based on my experience, most couples, most couples want to do what's best for their dogs. <laughs> they don't usually like to you know, put the one dog with the one spouse that doesn't like the, hasn't bonded with the dog and the other one, you know, so most of the time people do become, or, you know, they usually make logical choices when it comes to the dogs, you know. Can they have shared custody? That would have to be a voluntary arrangement. Oh. So yes, many people do have a shared arrangement with their, with their dogs, um, it's it's usually a voluntary situation, and most most couples do. And I would say most do settle and come up with their own their own futures. I would say because they're they're deciding for themselves, maybe through mediation or some kind of an alternative to going to trial. Good to know for all those people out there who love their dogs and they're thinking of separating. Think of your dogs first. Right. Well, actually, we so was this in the context of a non-married couple with who have one or more pets, or is this a married couple and their marital the community property assignments? So, a non-married couple that have a pet together depends on how that was established. How do they own right. the pet together? So, a dog is not necessarily like a car. So the, the registered owner doesn't necessarily control the ownership because I can go and register um, any, I, there's a ministerial act at the animal control when they change the owner. It's not, they're not necessarily deciding, you know, you don't have to notarize a title like you would a car. 
right. to to list yourself as the owner. So really establishing who, who owns this animal might be the first inquiry. It's kind of counterintuitive, though, because usually in relationships, one person may be more of more bonded with the dog and, you know, whoever decides on taking the, sometimes that changes too. I've had cases where one person was all set to take the dog. They had the yard and then maybe that housing situation fell through. That person got a new job or had to move. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the dogs go back and forth. Um, the best situation, sometimes, you know, a dog ends up in rescue because, you, you know, you may have animals in a, in a home with a yard and then, you know, you split up and then the lifestyle of both parties, they have to downsize. Maybe they both need apartments. Right. They don't have a yard. So now neither party can take care of this little yeah. animal. So. Well, and that's, that's like, so that's the property line, uh, the line I was talking about. So, so pets, homes, businesses, those are on the property side, right? They can be sold off. They can be handled like, you know, similarly, whereas kids are on the other side, because you certainly can't sell off the kids or put them in rescue. Well, you guess you could, you could put them in foster, but you could, if you want to get into GAL, GAL stuff and whatnot, but that's probably a longer show, but, uh, it just, that seems it, to me, it just seems much more complicated because there are human beings involved in that decision, not a, I don't, I don't want to diminish the value of a pet, but the, I, you tell me, is the court going to look at the pet's future in making some decision or is it just left to the, you know, who wants to, who wants to have their bonded pet go with them as, as they s separate? I think every, I think it just depends. Right. I hate to give the standard lawyer answer, which is, well, it just depends. Right. But our, well you know, most, it's property. It's not a matter of best interest. You'd have to lean on those arguments of highest and best use of the property. Hey, right. uh, I have a purebred Labradoodle that I want to rent him out to stud and I'm going to make all this money off of breeding this purebred. I don't even know if a Labradoodle is a purebred, but whatever I can make money off of this animal, that may be, they, that might be persuasive than the other party who wants to neuter the dog and not use it anymore to make any money. I've never had that come up, but I imagine it could. Maybe after the show, you will. <laughs> you never know. Well, well, that I mean that we can we can start going down the rabbit hole all you want, but then then you get into the question of whether the pet is really a business, right? Like, oh wait, I I helped. Yeah. We had this pet since it was a puppy, and I paid for food and shelter and walking the dog, and now you're going to go make money. Hey, you know, I, I'm not going to just hand over that. I, I would like an interest in that future bit. So it sounds like things just get really, really complicated the, the moment you step out your door. So, <laughs> yeah, but on the funny note, I was thinking, can you imagine saying, Hey, we're going to get a divorce. We're going to downsize. We both have apartments with one bedroom. Hey, somebody out there, take the kids. It's not a good idea when you're going through a divorce to tell your kids. I think, Dan, you said something about sending them to foster care. I would say no. That's not well, no, a good conversation. No, no, no. But I, I'm just saying. I know that, you're not I, serious. I was trying. Well, I was trying to say that you can't put the kids up for sale, but you also there. I mean, there are un un unhappy options, I suppose. But it, the, the kids just don't get left to the side of the road or whatever. They like you wouldn't. <laughs> 
I'm just saying like it, it isn't as cut and dried as I was saying, because there are unfortunate circumstances that you could probably get into from some of your other uh, cases you've worked on. But I'm sure there's some speaking, complicated ones where they've had to take the kids away. The people got divorced. Yeah, that, well, that's where you're doing reason. the best health yeah. and well-being. And all We're going so, too yeah. deep into, into yeah. the rabbit hole. Uh, yeah. Um, well, Tammy, this has been really enlightening. Uh, don't you agree, Dan? Yeah, well, I, like I said, I've I've certainly been involved with projects and whatnot where there were no kids. It was it was only business. But anytime you agree to be a part of something, especially if there's going to be money or time, which is money uh, invested and risk taken, then I don't think people really think it through. And then suddenly you find yourself saying, "Wait a minute!" So yeah, this is always it's always interesting, and it's something people should probably think about a lot more often than they do. Yeah, although a lot of times when you get emotion involved, like a husband, wife, a future husband and wife, I think probably the last thing they think of is a prenuptial agreement. Um, they might think, well, if I present it, they'll be insulted. Maybe they don't think I trust them. But at the end of the day, it's really important to have one from what I keep hearing. Agree, Tammy? It is for some people. Some people do fine without one, but if if somebody is concerned... Maybe they've had a bad experience or had a friend or family with a bad experience. It might be the right decision. Yeah. Well, on that note, I want to say that we uh, have really enjoyed having you. You were our first guest on this podcast, and I think it was fun. I think we learned a lot. What do you think, Dan? Yes, although uh, people probably have picked up on the whole name thing. So you think? This was a kind of a gimme not to diminish your presence here and how welcome you have been, but. Uh, well, thanks Dan and Nancy. I'm, I'm glad that you invited me to join you. Um, I think what Dan might be getting at is that we're all related and we share some DNA. A lot some. of DNA. <laughs> Probably yes. about 50%. Yeah. Somewhere around there. But it's interesting to pick your brain on, um, you know, just on general questions with child care, uh, child custody, prenup, divorce. And we probably can talk for hours about this, but I know that, Tammy, you probably have another appointment because you've allotted us so much time to get you on here, and we do appreciate it. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest yeah, of the show. We're coming up on 10 units. I hope those, I uh, hope the invoice will be small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. Tam, have a great day. We're going to continue and uh, talking about usually what I complain about and what's new in Danny's life. Wait, so, I, sorry, six units, not 10 units. Yeah. It'll yeah. be 10 units later. Don't overprice. Um, so, <laughs> so, Tam, thanks again for being with us. You're very welcome. Have a good day. You too. Take it easy. Now we're going to talk about what? We're going to talk about your experience this week, and oh, yeah. it was yeah, it was very unusual because not everybody can say that they did what you just did this week, which was what I I was a uh, I, I, first I'll say I I uh, went through CERT training, which is a citizens emergency. Wow, what does it stand for? Uh, response oh. team, I think it is something yeah. like that. We're so not writing the, this down. Don't worry about well, it. Well, but the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA and all that, the government has this program where you can have local people in your community volunteer as civilian first response 
you know, it's a pool of people who are around and have some idea what to do in case of an earthquake or a big giant fire or whatever. So they, you know, they contact us every once in a while for drills and practice. And so there was an email sent out about a, you know, a week and a half ago, uh, looking for volunteers to work at a uh, vaccination pod, which is a point of uh, dispensary. Mm-hmm. I believe that's correct. So a vaccination pod in the city of North Las Vegas, which is not far from where I live, like literally across the street somewhere. So I said, sure. And just like that, I was uh, afforded an opportunity to have a vaccination as part of my time. So on the 13th and 14th of January, I spent a good chunk of each of those days getting to and from, which is exciting now, you know, try, just, just, just going outside beyond the grocery stores is something to be uh, aware it's like of. like a field trip, huh? Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Look at, look at all the stuff that's changed. <laughs> was, that was kind of fun. But I spent each of those uh, Wednesday and Thursday helping people through the process as a volunteer. And then, uh, so on Wednesday, eh, it was before lunch even, it was, the, the, this was uh, the first it wasn't the first week, but it was, they're still early in a kind of a pilot program. So it was only a couple hundred people each day. And, and are those worked. people, the, the um, healthcare workers? These were city employees. So oh. police, fire. Um, so in some cases, paramedics. So, you know, they're not, I, I don't know that any of them were not like hospital healthcare workers, uh-huh. but certainly police and fire. And so they're, sometimes bringing people to the healthcare workers that are possibly infected. So uh, several administrative office type people, but it basically city of uh, North city of North Las Vegas employees uh, who interact with the public, I guess were early on the list. They all made appointments. Um, so they, that staggers the people out. So they're not milling around. So you, they give you a 10 minute window. People are lined up. Uh, but it's only maybe 10 or 15 people are lined up. The shot itself takes a few seconds. So you fill out the paperwork, which is literally, are you allergic to anything? Have you had the virus before? So a couple check boxes, you know, name, contact information. You go through, they give you the injection. You are, I, I believe it's suggested, but it's, uh, they, they are serious that you must wait 15 minutes afterwards to make sure you have no reaction, no adverse, like allergic reactions. Mm-hmm. If you have any known allergies, you have to wait 30 minutes, which is some people were not too happy about, but then you go and make a second appointment because in the case of Nevada, we have the Moderna vaccine. Uh, I know Arizona has the Pfizer vaccine and the other company that they work, their partner company, which is Bio, BioMed something. But anyway, so those both require a booster shot. So that will be a logistical bit of excitement. Some number, like here, it's 28 days later, you get a second booster shot. So walking people through all that process was, um, it was interesting to see sort of on the ground, because you read about it and you hear about it on the news about the the logistical headaches of getting the virus, I'm sorry, the, the vaccine out to people. And so this is, this is where those vials are ending up. In this room, people are putting a syringe in the vial. They're extracting uh, half a milliliter of uh, vaccine and they're injecting it in somebody's arm. And then 
Did you get yours in the morning the first day that you worked there? I did. I get, uh, it was, there was a lull because again, they do have the the people had appointments and the, the other component about the appointment is they know how many people are coming so that they know because the vials of these, each of these vaccines requires a certain, each, each of the vaccines require a particular storage configuration, uh, low temperatures. And when they're removed from those low temperatures, they have a shelf life of, you know, however, however many hours possible, maybe a day or so. I don't know what the, what the actual numbers are, but so the idea is they're going to, they're going to bring these vials to the site that correspond to the number of people that are scheduled to visit and, and receive their injection. So Thursday, there was there was some sort of a mismatch, and there was a, almost like a panic. And the fire chief who was running the site was uh, so he has so there are fire uh, paramedics that were giving the injections and other, I guess, other medical people, but I, the people I saw were all paramedics in the fire department. So, uh, he goes, uh, we are, we're going to need four more vials. So we got to get lights and sirens and get, you know, so they were, they were treating it as if it was, you know, a Brinks, uh, armored car or set of, you know, urgency, right? Like we well, got to get Where did they go to there. get these vials? I believe the Southern Nevada health district in the case of, uh, Clark County, where Nevada, is, I mean, where Las Vegas is in Nevada, I believe they are responsible for storing them. I don't know where they're stored, but, uh, but anyway, so that, that was interesting because you, I think the casual person would hear, oh, I got to make an appointment. And I don't know if people bother to explain that there are, there are at least two good reasons, possibly three, because if you consider the 15 minute window, um, anybody who's ever baked cookies, uh, if your cookies take eight minutes to cook, but it takes 10 minutes for them to cool, you're going to need more counter space, right? So if you only have a certain amount of space for people to wait for their 15 minutes, you have to accommodate that on the, on the input side of the, of the vaccination lines. So we had four vaccination stations, so you could have four people going at a time. And that's, so every time you vaccinate someone, you're adding four more people to the waiting area for 15 minutes and you have to be socially distanced. So even though it sounds like it's kind of a hassle, I do sort of appreciate the the conundrum that the people running these sites face because the there's a the responsibility component is if people get vaccinated, get in their car, drive away, and have an allergic reaction 15 or 30 minutes after and crash their car, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, I would say no. Um, I just read, and you're going to ask me, where did I read this? That I think they said 55 people died after they got the vaccination. Did you have any um, apprehension about getting the vaccination? I had no apprehension, but I've been, I may have mentioned this once or twice, but I listen to This Week in Virology all the time. I just listened okay. to it before. Yeah, I think you did mention it a few times, like every show. So they talk about, like, for example, there's a Johnson & Johnson single shot that is not messenger RNA-based vaccine that will finish third phase trials at the end of the month and all that. So uh, having read and and 
listen to a variety of subject matter experts and you know kind of tracking this from the beginning of all this excitement i figured well the worst that could happen is i have some sort of a oh, i don't really have a lot of uh major allergies i just have the annoying kind that make my voice sound weird but uh and <laughs> make it difficult to breathe sometimes but I, I so i didn't i didn't have any reticence i did have two side effects which that were not horrible the um the the morning i went to the site uh i was supposed to get there at 7 30 so i left early but i was feeling i i didn't sleep well uh due in part to this joy of uh, allergic reactions to whatever is in southern nevada in the air so i was really having a, a difficult sleep so i really i would say i didn't have a good night's sleep sleep so I went to the site. I spent all day there. I didn't really drink enough water. So I believe I became dehydrated. I was certainly sleep deprived. So when I had the shot, when I was going home, I felt extra um, disoriented. Out of it. Yeah, disoriented. I, di- I didn't, I fell asleep. Um, I took public transportation, so I didn't drive. But I, t- um, I fell asleep for a few minutes on the way home. Uh, the walk home from the transit center, uh, which is normally eight minutes. <laughs> I do it a lot. Uh, felt like an eternity. I felt miserable. I got home. I just went to bed and I slept for a long time. So and we have to a, say that dehydration is very important uh, not to have. So take precautions. Well, you well, of all so, people know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I did drink some water, but I think I, because I was talking a lot and you know, you, you basically, uh, the working from home scenario as a software person, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, that's familiar to me. That's fine. But when you are not st- sitting at home all day uh, at my standing desk with my, you know, I got my, my, got my water thing right here. I can. Uh, yeah. But delightful. Yeah, well, but if you're talking all day. Yeah. Then you, you will get forget. dry. And, yeah. and there was certainly, I mean, you know, I was like, oh, that's right. I got to go get some water. And I took one to go and I was drinking the water on the way home. But I believe I was still somewhat dehydrated and certainly tired. So the symptoms to me were dehydration and fatigue. But if you look at the symptoms for the vaccination that people are experiencing, um, fatigue, uh, light fever, headache, I think there was another one. So I did have a a mild headache for two days at least. Well, especially Friday, actually. So probably more Thursday and Friday than Wednesday. But so the take home is that I I think I did have a minor reaction, but certainly nothing. To, so I you know. would suggest when you go for your second shot, you drink a lot of water and you try oh, yeah. to get a little extra sleep. I don't know what you Wait. were thinking, but don't let this repeat itself, please. Well, it turns out the there were some issues with the bus on the first day, so that didn't help. But uh, get, getting around Las Vegas with public transit is not impossible but it is also not easy but i have actually enjoyed it quite a bit compared to owning a car here which is let's just say that um, the sound of breaking glass never makes me concerned although it does get my attention more often than you would hope i could say right so people people do like to break into cars here and and parking and all that so um so yeah i had to leave early and and took some time to get home but overall you know, certainly worthwhile. I believe there were 1.7 million people ahead of me in line of the, 
about 2 million people that live in the Las Vegas metropolitan area. So I considered this a good trade-off. I was talking about Las Vegas and the pandemic. Have you seen or heard that people are really realizing that this is serious and they shouldn't pack themselves into the casinos and maybe do the mask thing and the washing of the hands and the social distancing a little more, or are they still having, you know, throwing their luck against the wall thinking it's not going to happen to them? I, I don't really spend much time out and about in Las Vegas. So I cannot speak to in-person thoughts expressed along these lines. But I will say in the social media circles, which are, that they are what they are, it's basically half and half. So there's a lot of people who are frustrated at the, the numbers are going up. They stay home. They wear the mask. And even people that, that work in the service industry, so they're working in the casinos, they're working in restaurants, they are, they're, they're facing literally the, the, exposure challenges and they wear their masks and they, you know that maybe they're getting laid off and the unemployment problems but they're like well I, it's what's what are you going to do and there are business owners that are frustrated so it's it's kind of a big um it's a topic of of uh, debate but at the end of the day las vegas uh, we are we are experiencing a lot of fatalities and hospitalizations and you know all the bad numbers mm-hmm. and it's a small so one of the challenges uh, as a as a resident but certainly not an expert on this uh, as a tourist destination uh, tourism has been down you know well over 50% if i understand correctly mm-hmm. but there's still tourism people are still visiting las vegas and staying in a, the resorts although i believe the resorts are mostly closed during the week because of attendance mm-hmm. makes sense but People do still come here and then they go home and if they get infected here or they were infected and they infect others or, you know, whatever happens and then they go back home, that may or may not be counted in our statistics. I don't know how the contract contact tracing is being reported in those scenarios. So uh, who who can say? Yeah. But I I will say that people that were getting vaccinated were taking it very seriously. There were a lot of people that, that were older or several people with allergies. So I don't know if they were concerned about their health in general, but um, I, th- uh, I think the people that were not getting vaccinated, maybe that's a completely different population. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we're right ahead of you in Arizona. We lead the nation. I think we, we did anyway. I don't think things have changed uh, recently. So we've got a lot of cases popping up all over the place. And I'm going to try to register to get the vaccine. I hope I'm one of the people who uh, doesn't get a reaction or doesn't have anything negative, negative happen to me. So we'll see what happens there. They've changed the rules again. So hmm. Yeah, I, I'm. I am absolutely not a medical practitioner of any kind or, or any. But but just from anecdotally from my two days, there were of the of the say 500 people or so of the two days of vaccinations that I was there for. I'm going to say there were maybe a total of 25 people with allergies of everything from latex to penicillin to food allergies to. Uh, Sulfa, 
and nobody had, and again, this is not to be taken as medical expertise in any way, just observation. Everyone went through their waiting period without any reactions. Nobody fell over. Nobody felt ill. So I have a feeling that if you do have a reaction, it will be immediate because the side effects then are pretty minor in my experience. And um, the second shot is supposed to be more severe, I guess, uh, side effects. So we'll see how that goes. But Really? Wow. I, uh, just the intensity of, so there may be more headache or more fatigue. Now, when I say fatigue, I mean like, even, so it's hard to say because I was sleep deprived that first day. But Friday, I just felt like I was getting over a cold. Like I just felt exhausted. And I was like, uh, this is not, granted, I've been working from home a lot. And so it was definitely unusual to go out and talk to people for several hours, like hundreds of people. Yeah. Walking them through this process and, and all that. So it was it was fatiguing, but I felt much more fatigued than I would have expected. So I, I would imagine it was one of the side effects. And if that's going to be more intense, then maybe after the shot, you plan on having a day in front of the TV, just relaxing. And because it just felt like I was uh, recovering from something like uh, even though I probably wasn't sick at all. What, you know, whatever, whatever was uh, leading me to be fatigued was not sickness or, or um, anything more than sleep deprivation and this vaccination. So I guess I'll plan for more of that. Do you feel that they were very organized um, in that area where you were volunteering? They were organized, but very low volume. So the, they're going to change locations. Anybody who's familiar with the Las Vegas area, where this pod was, was a was like one block north of the Cashman Center, which is a very large auditorium. Mm-hmm. And the Cashman Center just started a pilot program, and they, I believe, they intend to do a thousand people a day. So they're moving the pod that I was at to a high school because they have to do the second shots for this pool of people. And, um, so that's, that's a logistical problem because once you've received your shot for the first dose, which is half a milliliter, mm-hmm. the second half milliliter, and this goes on the paperwork, right? You, you've been documented now to have received one of two shots. So that, that workflow, I would imagine just to avoid the bureaucracy and red tape and whatnot, you, you want to follow that. Same, you know, the same people doing the same pod or the same paperwork or the whatever. So I doubt very much it would work to my advantage to say, oh, I can just go get a shot at the Cashman Center or some other location. I I just, I imagine that's going to be a headache. So, so the logistics of coordinating a 28 day second visit, because I, you know, I heard during my interactions, some people are saying like, oh, I'm not around that week. Can I come the week after? And, and and they're talking to people who are not rendering a medical opinion. They're just looking at a computer screen and saying, well, you're pretty much going to have to come on that day because yeah. the guidelines don't say, well, you know, plus or minus a week on their convenience. It's like, no, you got to get a second booster shot or this is only 54% effective or something. Well, they have to prioritize. I'm just reading here that in Arizona, we did have the uh, the stadium where the Cardinals play. They had... Uh, 
ongoing appointments 24 seven. Sure. And I think they're running out of the vaccine probably right just before I get there. <laughs> I'll wait in line and have an appointment and they'll go, whoops, we just ran out. So they are having uh, some challenges in Arizona. I can't remember where I read that they were, I think they were vaccinating a thousand people a day, if I'm not mistaken. But it's one of those things where I read quickly, as I'm known to do. Um, well, and it's, it is a, um, so here's, here's uh, some more little insider stuff. The, at the end of the first day, so I, I don't know if this happens a lot or I only had the, the one day at that point, the, uh, the fire chief was <clears throat> kind of wandering around talking to each, you know, well, various people there, like, you got your shot? Yeah, you got, you got, okay. Like, okay, we have four doses left. So let's call. Does anybody have a friend or a parent or somebody that they can, because once the, once the vials are opened, the, you, you don't have a much time to use it or you got to throw it away. So they said, well, we have four doses. So if anybody wants to come in, so there is like this. He uh, could have put them on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> There's some slack in the allocation of open vials. So if the vial is not open, they can, uh, you know, whatever the temperature and time and storage requirements yeah. and all that. But once they've tapped that vial, so if you, the more, um, the more volume of people you have coming to a stadium, for example, the more likely you're going to have multiple vials. Here we had four tables with one person at each table, you know, several feet apart. So that it was very easy to say, okay, don't, don't anybody tap any, uh, you know, we're, we're coming down to the last two people. So they had one vial opened, but I could see at a stadium where people are, tapping into the vials to start the next day. Like, oh, okay, now we have 18 open vials. We got to have, uh, I think each vial has like four or five doses in it. So you're like, oh, suddenly we have, you know, say 30, 40 doses that we have to account for because those are already open. Yeah, you know, so it's it, it it's non-trivial and it's kind of like, uh, I mean, the, the, these these are not, even though you hear stories about the the vials and the vaccines being wasted or not getting delivered or or other drama, hmm. but these are important and they they take time to make. And if you throw them away or if they get damaged or or go bad, that's an opportunity wasted to vaccinate somebody. So it, hmm. it, it's an interesting challenge and it's been interesting to watch. And I told the person running the the fire chief is chief is running the sort of the the medical component. And then there's a, another person, I think she also works with the fire department, but she's running this sort of, uh, the operation of the site. So I was telling her that I, I think it's interesting to watch the production line workflow, right? Mm -hmm. So you have four production lines. You have, sorry, you have four, uh, four lines of, uh, assembly lines, production lines. So, you know, you have somebody coming in, they fill out the document, they go sit down at the chair, they, get a shot, then they have to go wait and then they leave and they have to get a second appointment. So all these steps are, you can measure the throughput and then you can look at how many people return successfully for the second shot. So it should be very easy for them to determine how successful they are. And you should be able to measure a decrease in case rate. Maybe. In the population. Hopefully. Yeah. That sounds well, like a good idea. They should, you, you, they have enough data now they should be able to. So I, I told her, I said, this is kind of interesting to see how this will pan out uh, and whether people will come for the second shot and all that. So I, it's been an interesting, yeah. my two days so far. I have several, um, I think February 1st, 
maybe one or two more days. And then the 10th of February is my booster shot. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm. I'm just reading this uh, from the office of the governor. And this was written uh, January 14th, that nearly 190,000 doses um, have been administered to almost 171,000 Americans. Hmm. So you do the math. This includes 17,000 people who received both doses. I didn't know you could do that. But they don't go on to explain that. They just threw that into the mix here. So well, yeah, no. So what they what the way I would because yeah, that does sound confusing. I would say, twenty eight days prior, as of the fourteenth, there were, whatever the def, the delta was, tw- um, six or twelve thousand or something. Some some people in a pilot program, twenty eight days, well, whatever the Pfizer one is. Pfizer might be fourteen. I can't remember. I don't know. It's seventeen thousand people who have received both doses. Right. So, so some small number of people received pilot doses uh, of the first dose. And then as of the 14th, a lot more people received the first dose and some received the second dose because this, the booster time interval had passed. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that sounds reasonable if that's what they mean, mm. because I, you, uh, from what I've seen, you cannot possibly roll out a mass vaccination program on day one. You got to make sure everybody's on the same page with how it works and what the, you know, the allergy stuff, just the allergy stuff The people kept yelling out to the, the head, uh, I guess I would say like the head paramedic from the fire department, they'd go like, Hey, uh, what, uh, latex. He's like, yep. 30 minutes, peanuts, sulfa. Uh, there were several others, but so yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they got to work out the kinks. And then the, the email reminder that I received was not, quite clear, which I've already raised that issue. So, so there's all the kinks in the system that they have to work out. So I, I understand what they're trying to say. Oh, there I'm sure there's going to be a lot of kinks. Yeah. Um, by uh, Tuesday, the 19th, they're expecting to have 750,000 people ready to have the vaccine because those would include 65 and older. And I was reading some comments online, and there were several people who said they've tried to make their appointments, but they couldn't get through. They had a problem online. They tried calling people. They couldn't get through. And you wonder, I mean, this is worse than trying to get tickets to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> it's it's like uh, planning a round-trip vacation where you must come back you know, uh, 14 days later or 28. And I, I only know Moderna is 28 because I that's what I got. But I think the Pfizer one was less, but I don't mm-hmm. remember. And and the funny part is like normally if you go on, and this is this goes back to what I said earlier, you know, well, can I, can I move it to the following week? Because I'm not going to be here. You know, it, that's not, that's not something that's been tested. So you basically want to go outside the lane. <laughs> like, you well, know, with, with this many people trying to get a vaccine in Arizona, Maybe there'll be scalpers going, hey, I got a number. I got a space. How much do you want to pay me to take my my space? That would be funny. Well, and that, I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I'm speaking out of, out of school here, but I, so they, they said, oh, do you want to get a, your shot today? And I said, sure. So they, so I entered the, the line like everybody else. So they said, oh, okay. So here's a, fill out this, the form. And then you go sit at a table. So I filled out the form and I said, do I have to show ID or anything? And they're like, no. So, okay. 
So oh, I went, said, hey, my... are you the guy who does Hugo Floss? Yeah, well, get in line. <laughs> that is me. Now, I, I mean, granted, there's at this point, there has been a communication uh, via email or an appointment or, or these are all employees. So they kind of, a lot of people knew each other there and everything. So it's, it's not like they, they weren't trying to fend against people sneaking in. But the, the important part is uh, after I received my injection, I waited my 15 minutes and I walk over to the, to the appointment table and I, you know, I give them my, they give you a little timer, like a tea timer or an egg timer. Mm-hmm. So it's counting down to 15 minutes. So you got these beeping, beep, 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 beep all over the place. So I handed my stuff, my paperwork and my one sheet and, a, and he's like, all right, so 10th of February, 1020. Is that okay? And I said, yeah, sure. Now, said, did okay. they wipe he, the egg timer with a uh, handy wipe that's uh, sanitized? Uh, that's actually, that was also one of the things I did. So yes, oh, good. they do. So, uh, so, but, but the take home is that he handed me a CDC vaccination record card and on the back, it has the reminder for the second booster on the second, on the, I'm sorry, on the, uh, it's oh, 10th of February, it's 2, 10, 21. So, and I know that because I also wrote those out. So I filled in the cards. I was wiping down the timers. I was, you know, so I, I did a little bit of each thing. Oh, your so, mother would be proud of you, Dan. Oh yeah. So, but the take home is I had a, I'm not saying I would do it, but there, there was a stack of blank CDC cards, vaccination records. I wrote, you know, Moderna, uh, lot number 025J20-2A on 11321 or 11421. Reminder on the back for the city of, you know, so I filled in the, the, the standard part and then they hand you the card and then they don't even write your name on it. Some, some I've seen take pic, people take pictures and they're printed with the, with the lot number and all that. And I said, so, so should I bring this card with me the second time? Cause that wasn't in the email I received. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't forget to bring it. And I said, so, so, so people have been handed a handwritten paper sort of card stock CDC vaccination record card. And that is the thing to bring to the second booster shot visit. And they said, but if you lose it, as long as you're in the system, we can just make another one but I've never shown you my ID. So they have no idea who I am, just that I, somebody with my name has been here and got a shot. So as you just said, people could, I imagine. Sell their space. Step in. Yeah. I mean, it's like taking an SAT or, uh, you know, unless they do photo IDs, there's really no way to connect. Well, that's scary. Yeah. I hope we're not giving anybody an idea. Oh, I'm, I imagine people, that have this idea. I mean, there, there are people that would think this way immediately because uh, people are already doing, you know, vaccination scams and whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, hey, yeah, give me, uh, give me a hundred dollars and just tell them your name is Dan Hugo and you can go get your shot. You'll only get one. But Pretty soon they'll have vaccination parties instead of Tupperware. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But so I mean, it, it's a it's a weird. Uh, I don't know if it's a privacy issue tracking name and vaccination history and well they're sticking something in your arm and they're worried about privacy issue uh well you know what we got to say that the person who organized this or the people the committee they probably were rushed and didn't think of everything maybe by february or maybe by the uh, 
next wave they'll come up with, oh, you know what, the student works, so we've got to improve this or that, yeah. you know that. But luckily, I, I you did, did get your vaccine. Yeah. Well, I did I did tell the, the organizer, I said, I don't know if this may be for the next pandemic, but they could the email could include a calendar invitation instead of just having the date. And I, you know, I said, hey, the, it says in my email that when I come for my appointment, we can arrange the second shot, but I've already had the first shot. So it's not really, so I said, so maybe for the next pandemic, we'll, we'll, uh, it'll be more streamlined, but well, not perfect, but it's, it, it's, it's odd because each state I'm sure has worked out the, the DMV license renewal process. And it's probably as much of a pain because you know, oh, you are a certain age and you have your license, so you need to take a driving test or you need to take another eye test or, you know, so they've, they kind of have a part of their infrastructure that manages variables that affect a renewal scenario. Mm -hmm. So, so you can see where the left hand and the right hand maybe of a bureaucracy don't always connect on these, these. Well, it uh, sounds like par for services. the course. So it sounds normal. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see, but I, so, but the take home really is that, um, when you hear about it in the news, about the chaos and whatnot on the ground, you know, people are trying, I'm not trying to diminish their efforts and my efforts, right? People are, right. these are honest people doing, trying to do good and, and mostly accomplishing it so far. So, um, but it, you know, the, uh, we have the tools and the technology and I think there's not always a connection between all that to make things work the way they could. So they kind of work. And then you're like, oh yeah, we got 80% of the people came back for the booster shot. So I guess that's good. Like, oh, why? You know, I'm just thinking, what if somebody, before they get their second shot, they die? Right. Well, yeah, there will be a certain percentage of those people. There's, there's a predictable percentage. Yeah. But so, so for example, um, the actual example that was discussed in social media, but it, you know, it, it was a New York Times article about this. So the way that vaccine allocations were happening in some places was okay. We know Dan Hugo is going to get a shot sometime, so we're going to allocate the first shot and we're going to save the second shot, so it's pre-allocated for 28 days later. So now you have to store the second shot for 28 days beyond the first shot. So then somebody said, "Well, why don't we just give that shot to somebody else?" And then we'll get more vaccine by the time that 28 days elapses. So now you have to organize your entire supply chain to make sure that you're feeding the pipeline of, of vaccination uh, allocation based on that 28-day delay in demand because the, the booster shot is a requirement according to the EUA, the Emergency Use Authorization from the FDA, for these vaccines. So they're not saying, oh, well, 28 days or whenever we get around to it. So it becomes a state. So, so the, the take home is that this is a little bit more complicated than it may seem in the press or the headlines and, and everybody's saying, oh, look how confused and it's a mess and this and that. But there are some finer points that I can appreciate if you've ever done anything with manufacturing and, and supply chain and, man, and, and uh, inventories and all that. It is, it is not trivial. So mm. it's, it's something to be probably, I mean, I'm not going to say awe, but it, it is sort of impressive to have people kind of getting all this, all these moving parts working. 
Yeah, yeah. And on that note, you've used up my time, so I can't <laughs> complain about anything. So I'm going to have to do double complaining. Well, no, because I have an appointment I have go to. Oh. Um, but I'll double complain next week. You that like is that. good to know. So yeah. you've just told everybody to, to skip next week's show. <laughs> no, no, because I complain about good stuff. Everybody always agrees with me. My take on things is comical, but true, right? That is, uh, those are words to live by. Yes. So I think as Andre Bocelli said, it's time to say goodbye, Dan. So I have And Sarah gonna- Brightman. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. I think uh, between our special guest and your experience with the vaccine, it was extremely interesting. Be sure I hope to so. sub- I think so. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the platform that you're using to listen to these podcasts. And don't forget to share them with your friends. If you don't share them and you don't subscribe, there's no way that we're going to grow our listenership. And by the way, I have a podcast called Home Design Chat with Nancy. You can listen to that. It's on 28 platforms. And if you're listening to this one, you can listen to the other one. And I am going to tell the people who listen to that other one to listen to this one. So therefore, everybody should uh, share. And Cross promotion. Be- yes, definitely. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to uh, nancyhugo.com or you can email me at nancy at hugofloss.co. Or if you have questions about my illustrious partner, Dan, you can email him at dan at hugofloss.co. So in the meantime, you have a great day. Dan, enjoy the week. Everybody stay safe and have a great day. And make sure you make an appointment and get vaccinated as soon as you can. And let's get, get rid of this thing. Yes, but wear masks, social distancing, wash your hands. And then have a great day. These are all good things. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Thank you, Nancy. And to Tammy Hugo Haley for uh, In Absentia. She had to get on to other things today, but thanks for being our guest. And if anybody else wants to be a guest, reach out. We love talking about all kinds of random things. So come on down. Bye, Dan. Bye, Nancy.